0: All
1: right. Good afternoon, Mark. We are live for the first time in a long time. How are you doing? John, it is good to be back.
0: An entire fall has passed, and I probably shouldn't say that. We'll date ourselves with this, but yeah, it's
1: good to be back. It is great to be back. There's going to be some background noise today. It's Catholic Schools Week here in St. Matthews. Uh, So this is a wild week, um, but a lot of things have passed out of the way uh, that we can get back into this now. So um, it seems like in a former life, we had a conversation (laughs) about the prophetic teaching of Jesus Christ. He talks about Christ being that prophet like Moses. Moses Moses prophesied back in Deuteronomy. It says when he comes, listen to him. And we looked at the message of uh, the kingdom of heaven. Well, today, uh, we're looking at his deeds, his actions, and what they communicate. I was teaching 7th uh, and 8th graders the other day here at St. Matthew's, and I asked them, how do people view Jesus today? Mm. And they gave some some good, insightful middle school answers. And then I asked them, um, how do you think the Romans viewed Jesus? Mm. How, how do you think the people that crucified viewed him? And they're like, I don't know. I said, well, fortunately, we have a non-believing Jew from the first century named Josephus, who wrote a lot as a Roman historian. And the way he described Jesus may be surprising to us, because many people today think of Christ primarily as a, a teacher, a reveal of great truths. Some of us, of course, profess him as Lord and Savior. Uh, but even if in that, we probably have dominant paradigms for how we view him. We see, yeah. all right, shows him more as a shepherd, or we think of him in his passion and his priestly ministry. Well, the way that Josephus described Jesus to the Roman authorities was he was, quote, a healer and exorcist in mm. Palestine who many believed to be the Messiah. And I asked the students, what's strange about that? Like, I don't know. I said, this is what's strange. They didn't say, well, everyone agrees that he taught. They said everyone agrees as fact, including us who crucified him, including those who follow him, including those who try to ignore him, regardless of your religious perspective on Jesus, they all found their consensus in, consensus in he cast out demons and healed people. Oh, wow. <laughs> which I think is wonderful, because today that may be, ironically, uh, those would be the gospel stories which were more likely to relegate to fairy tale. Or some... Uh, Protestant theologian of the 20th century even said, "Well, you know, the church kind of like made those stories up yeah. to communicate uh, a theological mm-hmm. meaning." But within Jesus's own time, people who didn't believe him said, "Oh yeah, he drove out demons yesterday. Yeah. I know, yeah, he healed that paralytic. Yeah. So that's actually um, the like almost historic fact yeah. about Christ, apart from his crucifixion."
0: Which, to your point, like it just so highlights for us today where what really concerns us. Mm-hmm. and truth and what it means to know truth and where truth is found and truth is found you know in the mind it's not necessarily found in these amazing events that happened like oh yeah everybody agrees he could cast out a demon and he did we look at that and go that's crazy let's talk about his teaching or uh you know what he actually said what he left behind but for them the reality the primary reality is like he says like oh this guy went around Casting out demons and healing people.
1: Yeah. And we actually, uh, the next day we came to, because we worked with the book of Acts, we came to the Apostle Peter's first sermon in Scripture, mm-hmm. Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Strange things were happening, people want an explanation. I'm going to paraphrase, basically, Acts 2.22, what Peter stands up and says to the people. Um, it's kind of clunky, so I'm going to try to make it easier to hear. You Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you all know. Mm-hmm. So to break that down, people are asking for an explanation of the strange occurrences happening on Pentecost, and uh, Peter says a lot of profound things, but the main point he's making this point in his sermon is, well, Jesus did it, who, by the way, we, we kind of all know he is who he says he is based on the things he did. What's interesting is that Peter, he lays out for the people, you know, you already deep down know who he is because of what he did. And he's speaking about Christ's earthly miracles. So I want to kind of test Peter's hypothesis. Because Peter asserts, look, the people of Israel, they knew who Jesus was claiming to be, not just based on what he said of himself, but maybe even more so based on what he did. So we look at healings and exorcisms today in the gospel like either wow, that's awesome or wow, that's weird. I mean, it definitely is startling, but perhaps we don't see what the people present saw. Mm -hmm. These saw not just Mm -hmm. a really powerful event, but these saw um, an event that signified stuff a symbolic act
0: yeah well it's, it, john is my my favorite i he, he talks about signs and so jesus yeah the he evangelist does, john john the evangelist yeah th- with the gospel. the
1: gospel according to saint john
0: yeah um that so jesus is going to do something and it, he calls them signs in other words they point to some theological truth um mm-hmm. uh, where the synoptics you know it can be he, he demonstrates the power. He demonstrates that the kingdom of God is here mm-hmm. by doing something. Where John has a slightly different take. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs, but that mm-hmm. um, they're again they're pointing to. They're indicating a theological truth. And for me, it's the the man born blind. It's interesting that if, in all the gospel accounts, the the kind of mighty power that Jesus does more often mm-hmm. is he heals blind eyes. He, mm-hmm. he he gives people sight. That's right. So they now have the ability to see. It's a it's a physical demonstration of what he's actually come to do and to enlighten the world. Yep. Uh, but, but because John uh, because John has you know, it's the new creation and it's the new Exodus theme, where he he heals the blind man by taking clay or or spitting in the dirt. It's either the text says either dirt or clay, and you think okay, well. What would that you talk about the original hearer that for the people who saw that? What would they think of? Yep. What's that first creation of humanity when God makes Adam out of clay? Yeah, Jesus takes clay, he puts it in the guy's eyes, and he can see. And so, this miracle is a new creation miracle, he's giving this man spiritual sight to be able to see the reality of what Jesus has come to do, which is to bring the new creation, to bring a a, a different, qualitatively different kind of life that breaks into human history.
1: I'm glad you started with that story, Mark, because um, St. Irenaeus makes a really big deal of that Mm -hmm. story. St. Irenaeus is a church father. I believe we've referenced before. So the Apostle John taught a man named Polycarp, who was ordained a bishop by the Apostle John himself. Similarly, uh, Polycarp ordained Irenaeus. So Irenaeus is a second century bishop who is really familiar with the writings of St. John because he was taught by John's own student in the church. And he zooms in on that miracle intensely Mm. because this particular man born blind that uh, St. John spends an entire chapter on, John chapter 9, this man, unlike... Other blind man was born blind, and the apostles asked a question. Basically, what I think any of us do when we see human suffering, we ask mm-hmm. the question, "Whose fault is this?" <laughs> Which um, uh, kind of reflects a spirit of compassion deep down. We realize people shouldn't be blind. It, it right. seems unfair. Jesus, yeah. why is he blind? This isn't the
0: way it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, and the phrase a question, "Why is he blind? Because of his own sin or his parents?" And Jesus' response is awesome. He says, neither, but that the glory of God may be revealed. And you're right, Mark. That's the exact point that Irenaeus makes, that Christ healed blindness in a variety of ways, but in this instant, in order to, quote, reveal the glory of God, he gets down on one knee. He spits in the dirt. He rubs it in his eye. Because Irenaeus is making the point Christ is basically letting us watch the creation of Adam. We didn't have a camera in the Garden of Eden, Uh, Well, we didn't exist until Adam was created. But it's described as God kneeling down in the dust, forming him by hand, and breathing his life into him. And what is Christ? He gets down on one knee, and from the dirt, he literally forms vision in the man. And this is a really beautiful act of Jesus that communicates to us that he has come to recreate the human race, that what has been destroyed or lost or distorted through sin, he's going to refashion for the purpose that he originally had in mind. And
0: we've talked about this in several previous episodes, which for me, this is the thing that I love talking about the most. It it, it takes us back to the very nature of salvation. Mm -hmm. When we talk about what did Jesus accomplish, what's the benefit for us, and so often people can have this understanding of salvation that, okay, it's great and Jesus died on the cross, but salvation is about where I'm going ultimately, that one day I get to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. So because of what Jesus did, that's the primary blessing for me, I get to go to heaven, as opposed to with the fathers or Saint Irenaeus or some of the, Mm -hmm. the great saints that we've talked about previously. Their understanding of salvation was who we're becoming. That's it's right. about how God's changing this world in time and space. It's about how He has given eternal life and we can be qualitatively different now. We can live different now. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. We're Christians, little Christs. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus wants to make a qualitative change. Not an Oprah or Dr. Phil Pop psychology kind of thing, but by raising people from the dead, by infusing into us the very life of the resurrection, Mm -hmm. I I like to think of it as... uh, as I I like that zombie movies are are popular. Yes. Because it's like the planet is inhabited by people who are zombies. They're dead in Adam. Yeah. Or those who are alive in Christ. Uh It's that qualitatively different. And I think if we could kind of focus on that more, meditate on that more, get our heads around what Jesus has done for me... It's a great blessing. I mean, nobody's denying that one day we get to go and see God face to face and have the beatific vision. But he's, he's he's recreating humanity here and now, that we could be a different kind of people that display his glory and live differently.
1: Well, it's interesting you bring up the beatific vision, Mark, because uh, St. John in his epistle, First John, he describes a beatific vision this way that when we see him as he is, it shall be revealed what we are. Yeah. Well, And, um, and,
0: and, and in that verse, it's 1 John 3, 2, he says, and we will be like him, yep. for we will see him as he is. That's right. When we, the, this final journey, we're on this journey of being made like him in that final mm-hmm. moment, when and when I, I love that picture in John, we're going, we get to see, know, experience, and love God in the fullness of his essence, which just absolutely blows my mind because, yep. like Paul said, all we can see is, through blindness right now the veil is covering us but we get to see him like that because we've become like him our journey is finished and we're actually like the image of god been restored to this glorious degree we could never even imagine
1: yeah and that's right that the signs in john's gospel are almost like christ pulling back the veil Mm -hmm. not only to who he is but to what we might become if we will believe and follow him I would like to look a little bit more at the synoptics because Peter, in his sermon, he uses a specific phrase, um, deeds of power, signs, and wonders, which is a cool phrase because signs and wonders is the way that Moses' ministry yep. before Pharaoh is described. So last episode, we talked about how Christ unpacks the true meaning of the law, which ironically, uh, I had a professor who told me that if you read the Mishnah, which is the writings of the rabbis, They all said, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us what the law is really about. Hmm. Well, Christ is doing that the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, well, you have heard, but it's actually more than that. So Christ is unpacking the teaching of Moses. But the reason why anyone listened to Moses when he came to Egypt is he came with God's own power. And similarly, uh, the reason people sit down and listen to Jesus for hours on end teach, it's not only because his teaching is so good. It's because they've uh, observed his signs of power and wonder. Yeah. So, um, what those um, signs and wonders are in the ministry of Moses is you go back to the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel were at that time not in the land, they were actually slaves in a foreign land to Pharaoh. It's a really cool song. It's a great Louis Armstrong s- song, Go Down Moses, Let My People Go. Uh, I always want to sing when I think about this. Um, and I actually well, kept it. felt out a few well. parts, John. Come in. Let my people go. It's fun, huh? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so uh, God tells Moses, I've seen enough of the suffering of my children, the Israelites. So tell Pharaoh, go. Let my son go. I'm going to take your son out. But you know what? Pharaoh's stubborn. He's not going to believe me. So Moses, show him that i mean business. Here's your staff. Go perform the signs and wonders. So you think about some of those miracles Moses does. His staff becomes a snake. He does some cool tricks that God gives him. Um, Pharaohs mag- and his magicians observe this. They don't want to. Um, they don't really want to come to terms with the reality that's being communicated. So they're like, yeah, I don't know that God. Get out of <laughs> here. So uh, Moses performs 10 signs, 10 plagues. Uh, they make life really hard on the, on the Egyptians they also realize, they demonstrate that the gods of Egypt that Pharaoh and the other Egyptians are putting their hope in are no defense against what God is doing to set his people free. He's gonna kick down doors, he's, he's taking names, the people of Israel are going out of there. So uh, eventually this, these signs, they culminate in uh, the Passover hmm. lamb, which is the climactic sign and this time, the God that's being judged is not some frog creature on a hieroglyph somewhere. It's Pharaoh himself, because he claims to be a God. What does God do? God strikes down Moses, strikes down Pharaoh's son. Next thing you know, Pharaoh's saying, get out of here. God has kept his promise to set his people free. Now, the next day, something really cool is going to happen with the crossing of the Red Sea. But the point is that Moses has all these climactic signs building up, saying, like, the gods of Egypt are being judged. Pharaohs being judged, my people were going free. And what's so interesting about that is this is the paradigm through which Jesus's own disciples understood what he was doing. Because imagine, this rabbi isn't just teaching in the synagogue, which is enough. He's casting out demons. He's forgiving sins. He's healing. He's doing really important things. He seems to per- Jesus seems to prefer to do it on the Sabbath, which really ticks off. The Jewish (laughs) leadership, but he's making a really strong point that the final exodus, because you know the seventh day is a day of waiting for God to act. Jesus is saying, Wait no longer. The exodus has come. In fact, uh, I guess Zechariah the prophet would be like Jesus' uncle because, or yeah, uncle, because uh, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, at John the Baptist's birth, He, and the Spirit, sings a song about Jesus. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of the servant, David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. Now, as a Catholic, I pray that prayer every morning. And I was honestly confused for some time. Like, who's Jesus setting us free from? Because... He obviously didn't set the Jewish people free from the Romans. Um, What's going on here? And finally it clicked. You look at all these songs at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Mary's Magnificat, uh, Zechariah, they keep on in their songs. You say God's finally keeping his promise to Abraham. The promise he made to Abraham was that, Abraham, your children will be put in slavery, but I'm going to set my people free. And what's startling is they're like, oh, we thought that God fulfilled that promise through what he did through Moses. But that was just the recital. This is it. And this time the enemies are not Egypt, slavery, and Pharaoh. They're um, death, sin, and hell. And that Christ is constantly symbolically demonstrating his victory over death, sin, and hell by casting out demons by forgiving sinners, by curing disease, which is the symptomatic uh, unfolding eventually of death itself. Yeah. And um, just as those signs and wonders in Egypt eventually culminate in the Passover, well, the Greek word for Passover is Pascha. These these signs of Christ they culminate in the, Paschal, the Pascha, the Paschal mystery, which is his own death as a lamb his resurrection. So these signs, all these healings, which we read and we're like, huh, weird, or wow, cool, but maybe we don't catch the narrative significance of this. This is Christ demonstrating the exodus, the liberation of not just Israel, but humanity. It's finally occurring. It's occurring in Christ. He's destroying the hostile powers that keep us as humans from what we were meant to be by God. He's destroying our sin. He's destroying our death. He's destroying Satan's um, unjust hold on us, and he's doing it all eventually through his paschal mystery, but he, he communicates it to us through these miracles.
0: Which, again, goes back to what we've been saying the whole time. What is the paradigm of salvation? It's, it's interesting that there are mm-hmm. certain traditions— -hmm. That the primary paradigm is the courtroom. That humanity's biggest problem is you stand condemned in a courtroom before a holy and righteous judge. You've got these sins committed against you. And the the biggest, the most important thing you need is forgiveness. Which, okay, that's true. That's Romans and that's Galatians. But as you point out, that's the narrative of the church fathers, the church east and west for yeah. 2000 years the primary narrative is we need to be rescued from sin and death humanity has a death problem that's right in the garden in the day you eat of it you will die yeah. so humanity in our fallenness and our brokenness and in our corruption and uh, as you've pointed out many times you read the church fathers you read uh, saint augustine and the, the problem that is needs to be addressed is humanity is broken and we're corrupted and we cannot live the way we're intended to live we cannot live with god the way we're intended to live so jesus comes he becomes one of us that he might solve the problem of corrupted sinful human nature yeah that we could be raised from the dead and live again so again it goes back to that paradigm is salvation primarily about oh oh I can take a deep breath because I'm forgiven and one day I get to go there. Yeah. Again, which is a great benefit. But is that the primary metaphor of salvation? Not if we look back to the story the Old Testament is telling. Correct. Which the primary moment, the primary paradigm is Exodus. Yeah. That the, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and it is it is a, a sacrifice in Exodus 12. Yeah. It is a sacrifice. Yeah. That frees people from slavery. And yeah. it brings them into this new kind of life. So I think what what you're saying is just it's again it goes back to that. How do we even view salvation?
1: Yeah, and I think in, in our really politically charged um, period we're at, and as Americans, I think it's really important to be reminded to like that. Yeah, our problem is that we need to be set free, just not from uh, the enemies that we think are our right. enemies. You know. Yeah. Um, we're right that we need liberation. We just Like the Jews can grossly misdiagnose who the real problem is. Yeah. Well, and yeah,
0: I don't know how we, how politically (laughs) we want to get here, but yeah, and in a sense, it's the same problem that Israel had in the first century. What did they trust in? They trusted in their their temple. They trusted in their military. They trusted, or one day they're going to win a war against Rome. and so when anytime we trust in economy, technology, medicine, military, um, economics, educa- whatever, whatever sphere of society, politics, when we look to those things to save us, mm-hmm. the rug is going to get pulled out. It, it is going to collapse, because there is. if the kingdom is coming, then the only thing we have is the Paschal Mystery and, and Jesus resurrected. That's it.
1: Yep. You know, another thing I think about this, too, is so Jesus' signs and wonders are these these foreshadowings of what he accomplishes for all humanity. I actually read a beautiful homily last night. It was in the Liturgy of Hours. It's by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It was his catechetical teachings, yeah. and he talks about, you know, Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus was awesome, but there are a bunch of dead people who stayed in the tombs. Yeah. And he goes through each one of the, like, most mm-hmm. amazing inspirational miracles, and he's But he said, but this was just one person. But then he goes to Christ's death, and he says, never be ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ, Mm. because in that, the healing of every human from Adam onwards was accomplished. Um, And that's a really beautiful segue to, we believe as Catholics that the healing of Jesus, uh, Jesus' healing ministry, was not just a really cool three-year stint Mm. that pointed to his paschal mystery, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, but um, it actually now continues through Christ, sacramentally, Mm -hmm. through the church. So we believe that the absolution of sins continues. We believe that even the sacrament of healing continues. Would you like to say a little bit about that, Mark?
0: Well, I, I I love the sacraments. Yeah. And,
1: and actually, one of my, my favorite
0: is penance and reconciliation, confession, penance, and reconciliation. Yeah. Um, what that actually does for the soul, and I, I find it interesting. I read a book a number of years ago, and it, it, it's a great book, but it talks about, it, from a psychological perspective, what... It, they don't put it in religious terms, but when you when you confess, when you have somebody mm-hmm. that you can unload your stuff on and they hold you accountable and uh, they help you set guidelines and parameters and and how you grow. The book was called uh, How People Grow. Um, oh yeah, uh, and and really, what what they describe in order for in order for people to grow and have life to the full and and move on and get free from those things that hold us personally what they were describing was the, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, sac- yeah. uh, confession. That, And we know, even from a psychological, secular perspective, uh, sharing, getting those deep, dark things out, uh, having somebody be able to say, I hear you, you're forgiven. And then uh, the grace mm-hmm. of penance and being reconciled to the larger body, being reconciled with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, what that does in for the cleansing of the soul that we might now walk forward you get you get out of uh confession go participate in eucharist and it's not just psychological it's not just well i can think differently now it it these are communicators of grace this is how god communicates to us divine aid that's right that we might live better and be the be that new creation that we're supposed to be
1: that's correct. I was telling a little girl yesterday I was meeting with her baptism prep. We're going to have to close in the next couple of minutes. There is a priest. Um, I don't know how he came from Chicago to Montana, but a former priest here had been in Chicago and he was called on by the mafia. I know you're Italian, Mark. You have no uh, mafia ties, but this is a guy Not was, anymore. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, he was. is uh, not typical because. Uh, Italian Catholic family but he's not baptized and um the priest was called on to come visit him he was near death and he was asking the priest some questions he's like well you know it's not too late to be baptized he said tell me how that works he explains that in baptism we are united to Christ's death burial resurrection our sins are washed away and we're made a child of God and your soul is healed yeah we're given the promise of immortality and, yeah, and everything's forgiven. And the the mob guy, he sat and he thought about it and he said, but that's not fair. The priest laughed and said, you get it. Good for you. You get it. It's not fair. Yeah. That ultimately, um, every one of us that find healing, it's it's through God's own love. And in the next episode, we're going to look at the atonement. We're going to look at God's love on display in Christ's self-offering. But, um Healing comes through God's love. Mark, are there any takeaways that you want to... Yeah, just really on? quickly, I, I think the takeaway for me is,
0: one, what this does for us as believers. And if we uh-huh. can understand and really get... It, and I, I'm wrestling with it, too. I mean, it's a it's an amazing concept. The idea is what Jesus has done for me is not just about one day I get to go there. Yeah. That it's about that my own wounds, my own brokenness, my own corruption... It's fixing that now that I might be transformed into His image. A yeah. qualitatively different kind of life that I'm being transformed to look and sound very much like Him. In Romans, it says that we are, tra- we are conformed to the image of God. For my students, I often have to put that parenthesis. We're becoming like Him yep. because we're not becoming members of the Trinity, but partakers of the divine nature and just to make a qualitative difference. Yeah. And then uh, quickly... if. There's a Catholic Canadian philosopher by the name of Charles Taylor, Mm -hmm. and he talks about the enchanted world, That the Mm pre-modern world was enchanted. Do we still believe that there is a world out there like the world of the New Testament where these kinds of things can happen, where sacramental things can happen, where Mm -hmm. where bread can become body and, and water can become wine and virgins can conceive? Or are we so influenced and caught up in a secular way of thinking that we look at the Bible and we say, yeah, I, I can believe maybe it sort of happened there, but our world, we know that our world is a mechanized universe. We know it's ruled by science and reason and laws mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff doesn't really happen. To, and we have this dualistic disconnect mm-hmm. that we're looking at the world of the Bible and we're seeing that Paul's talking about principalities and powers and, and we recognize spirits and demons and and sacramental power, but we don't live it. We don't tap into it we, because yeah. we, we no longer, the world has been disenchanted for us through secular enlightenment thinking. And I think for a lot of the church, we need to get back to, hey, the world that the Bible describes is actually
1: the real world. Yeah. Well, you started this discussion, Mark, once we got into the biblical text with Christ's sign of, of healing the eyes. And yeah. part of what here is, is um, healing that we particularly need in our culture is to really mm-hmm. allow Christ to heal our imagination. Um, Yep. And imagination is not simply make-believe. Imagination right. is a faculty that allows us to actually yep. perceive things not obvious at first glance. Yep. Then we need to allow Christ basically to, to heal that part of us that maybe due to disappointment, due to discouragement, we have allowed secularism to yep. really dumb down. Christ wants to make alive again so that we can we can come to him for, for healing in other areas as well. Yep. Well, uh, that's 30 minutes. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm going to go uh, sing with a bunch of middle schoolers. (laughs) And uh, I hope that you, our listeners, have a great day as well. John, you have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you.